T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. James Feigen. Yes, James. James Feigen's got some branding on his laptop. Making sure everybody knows that he's joined the Athletic. Can never get too much exposure. On Twitter at JR Feigen. I can anticipate this question is probably way too early, but excellent. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Asking the questions to get the answers you need. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him instead of Hendrick? Yeah, if I'd known that, I didn't know that. Let's check the rule. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. James Feigen with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. The Chicago White Sox are in third place after the weekend. They are 27-31. and 31. Six games back of the first place Minnesota Twins in the American League Central. Rangers beat the White Sox 8-6 to six in 12 innings yesterday. I'm Mark Grody filling in for Lawrence Holmes here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score as we do try to sort it all out, all things White Sox, with James Feigen of The Athletic. He joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Where do we begin, James Feigen? Where are we with the White Sox? Uh, They've not been good. (laughs) <laughs> um, re- please, please rescue the White Sox, Lance Lynn. I guess. Uh, yeah. I, I, I where to begin is a uh, daily challenge for it, me. So it, if you can yes. help at all, uh, I'd appreciate. I, it. I will. I will. I will guide you through this segment, James, for sure, because it is difficult to know where to begin. And you know what, Lance Lynn is not a bad spot to begin because he is supposed to he is scheduled to come off the disabled list from his right knee injury and he is scheduled to start at Detroit tonight so that begins to make better one of the things that has been not as good lately the starting pitching what do you think about Lynn coming back and what should we expect to see from him in terms of length volume all that kind of stuff coming off the injury um, it's hard to know. I think it's in a similar boat of um, how much did you get wrapped up about Johnny Cueto's uh, Charlotte numbers? Because obviously they weren't good. And if anything, they kind of like his first outing was outstanding, but everything else was very much in the bucket of, well, he's getting his work in, he's throwing his pitches, he's getting his pitch count up type of situation, especially the last one where I don't think he got out of the fourth. But, you know, assuming that this is a guy with a very long track record and that his stuff is not 
you know, suddenly diminished, you're kind of hoping he'll do what he does and, um, you know, kind of succeed right off the bat because he, 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 he knows what he needs to be successful. But at the same time, it does seem like you need to have reasonable expectations of not really expecting a lot more than like, I think five innings would probably be something you'd be very happy with on 90 pitches to be kind of a reasonable uptake based on what he's done in his rehab. Um, obviously this is a team that could really use, you know, if only just from a pitching standpoint of, you know, who's available in innings at arms more than even, you know, building the vibe, uh, just a dominant outing from a guy who carried this team when they weren't full strength in the first half last season. They certainly need that now. That seems like a lot to ask from a guy coming off the injured list. But, you know, if you talk to the rotation, if you pull the rotation, like this is their guy, this is their leader. Um, this is the Tim Anderson of the pitching staff, so to speak, in terms of how vocal he is or how much he kind of brings energy to them. So it's a lot to ask to just, you know, save the team. <laughs> and, you know, that, that can't really be the job of any player in baseball, but man, uh, they could really use someone to put them on a good foot. And obviously the worst offense in baseball and the Tigers uh, is probably a good place to start for that. Yeah, that'll help. And yeah, right right now, I mean, the Sox heavies in their starting staff, you know, Cease and Giolito and obviously Kopech with the, the injury, which we'll talk about, they're kind of in a, well, they are, they're in a, they're in a slump. They're in a collective slump right now as far as their starting pitching has been been concerned and Lucas Giolito in specifically went the the five innings on Saturday and Scott Pitsednik in the post game show was quick to point out and pointed out more than once it was a topic of discussion the the velocity towards the end of the game being at 92 as opposed to 95 at the beginning of the game and honestly I don't even know if that is something that has been commonplace with him, or is that something to be alarmed about in Giolito's case? Yeah, I mean, for him, he's been kind of in that uh, 92, 94 range all season. Um, you know, I think when he talks about, like, not um, – he, he's always been a guy that gets stronger as the game goes on. I think when he means by that, more so than even Velo, is about just being in sync, that he's this – big, you know, one of the tallest starting pitchers in, in the majors, mm-hmm. like this big body who kind of gets in sync over the course of, of the night that he can be rough and he can kind of be finding himself his first one or two innings or so. You certainly saw that a lot in 2019, but if he doesn't get knocked around, if he kind of gets himself right, he's somebody who's pitching as well in the sixth or seventh uh, as he is at any point in the night. He's not somebody who tires in the, maybe the specific way, especially if he's able to pace himself and kind of empty the tank in that final inning. Um, knowing what he's facing. That definitely is a hallmark of his best start um, really the last three years, and he hasn't been on that. He's been somebody who, more than, say, like the velo's going down, it's just like the command is wavering away. That's okay. really, when somebody gets tired, they make command mistakes more, you just see their velo fall off a cliff. That's more somebody who's you know more dealing with some more fatigue or even hurt. So I, I think that's more what he means. I don't think he's quite seen maybe the velo that he expected based on you know what he was doing to get himself stronger over the offseason. But more than that, it's just not executing sharply the way he does down the stretch normally. And he didn't want to use an excuse uh, the other night when I asked about it. But I, I think it's reasonable to say, like, this is a guy who came off the COVID list and said it was an even worse uh, bout than he dealt with the first time. And that, that seems, the correlation between that and him not looking as sharp as he had earlier in the season, I, I think is really hard to ignore. And you would assume the farther he gets out from it, the, the more you're going to see it. He certainly seemed fine uh, for four innings. Uh, even with some rough patches. It seemed like one of his typical starts uh, in terms of a shaky first inning and finding himself until that fifth inning the other day. Uh, I, I just feel like it's mostly time for him, but it's, I, I think you're right on in that. I don't think any of the starting pitchers, Cease, 
or even Kopech, if the injuries minor have been um, bad or a way where you'd worry about the long term, but they just haven't been in a position where they can carry a team right. over its weak points the way that they had to be the first you know exactly. month, six weeks of the season. Yes, yes, spot on, and and it, it, it's almost predictable that this was going to happen. Of course, at, at some point in time, these guys are not going to be able to carry the team, and then they're going to need the offense. To, to carry the team this year. There's some really weird stats, though, for the White Sox that I'm sure you are aware of. I happen to hear Steve Stone throwing this one out there at the, the end of the game. Heck, he may have got it from you. Who knows? But he, the, what he said, James Fegan, was nine times this year the Sox scored seven or more runs and are three and six in those games. Um, and moreover, Sox are 13 and 17 at home, and they have been out homered at home this year. Do you have a reaction to either of those nuggets? Um, well, the first time was, was the number on times they scored more than seven, nine, seven or more runs, nine, seven or more, uh, nine times they've scored seven or more runs and are three and six in those games. The main thing is that's not enough time to score seven or more runs for this offense. So, like, <laughs> they've had bad luck on that, Okay, uh, I would say. But that we're talking about, like, the bad luck is, you know, three or four of those games. And the other um, representative of those games is being way behind and kind of coming back against the lower lever option, leverage options uh, of the bullpen. Like, the, the nine runs they scored in that kind of, you know, otherwise disaster piece of the game against the Dodgers a lot of that was the Dodgers like not throwing, you know, Craig Kimbrell or Daniel Hudson into the start of those games or their prime of the relievers and kind of coming back on the lower leverage of Penn. I, I think that's, uh, you know, even some of their good offensive performances are kind of the product of a team, you know, not using their, you know, Kendall Graven, Liam Hendricks types against them and then kind of working their way back on that. I think it's just not hitting, uh, but being out home at home, um, you know, having some, so few of these big offensive outputs, I think it's the the product of the general lack of offense uh, consistency mm-hmm. uh, that's been the problem all year. Yeah, it it makes sense. I guess it shouldn't be shocking, but it's still one of those jarring things when when you hear those things. They definitely pop off the page a little bit. I haven't asked you really about Michael Kopech yet, and I don't know that there's been an update today. But should we believe Michael Kopech when when he was speaking to you guys yesterday? That essentially what I heard was a guy who's not too worried and might make a start in a week still. That's definitely a hope. Uh, you know, what Michael said, like we first talked to Tony Arusa and you kind of got the double barrel of, he heard something pop and he's starting Sunday and you're like, Oh, I think we need to delve a bit more into that. Yeah. Uh, Michael said it was more of a, like he felt a, a twinge or a pinch feeling. Okay. Uh, twinge more and like pinch are better pop. words. Yes. Than pop. Yeah. <laughs> and that the R- MRI came back uh, fine and that he has kind of some fluid buildup. You know, I, I think maybe Sunday, could wind up proving ambitious for him. It's definitely a day-to-day thing about how much he gets better since he was still sore after the game. Um, but it, it sounds like there wasn't kind of this major injury, that structural injury that requires, you know, a, you know, rehab process or, you know, considering surgery that's going to knock him out where you can immediately say like, Oh, he's going to be out two weeks or six weeks or anything like that. So it's more of a day-to-day kind of twist or something that he did to his knee that mm. uh, they need to find out. But, I think the goal with him and obviously the goal with Yasmani Grandal is hoping it recovers on a day-to-day basis and they avoid an IL stint. Now that certainly makes things kind of dicey for now. Like, you know, with Grandal, they're carrying him and they have to carry another catcher, uh, hoping he's back in less than a week time. And with Kopech not going in the IL, that means you don't have the roster move to make to figure out who's going to start Wednesday now that you've moved everybody up. Um, 
Davis Martin was optioned, so he can only be brought back if someone else goes on the injured list for Wednesday, even though he'd be on regular rest. Vince Velasquez would be an option since he threw a sim game on Saturday, but then you'd also have to clear somebody off the roster to activate him. So they don't really have a, a clear idea of what moves they're going to make. Um, the way the Sox season has been going, somebody else getting hurt to make that roster room isn't, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing to happen, but uh, otherwise they're looking at trying to figure out how to get a, you know, a bullpen day out of a bullpen that's been kind of worked to death the last few days. What was Luis Robert thinking yesterday, James, when he uh, tagged at second base and became ultimately the final out at third base, trying to go from second to third on the sack fly, game is over, sudden death to the White Sox. What was the explanation? Did he give one? He did not give one. Um, Most of the explanation that we got is that he was thinking I could get that base and was not thinking about my run doesn't matter. Uh, This is a totally unnecessary risk given game situation. And he's got a, you know, it was a mistake is what Tony LaRusso said flat out and that it'll be addressed and you'll be told like, hey, we love you being aggressive on the base pass, use your speed, but you've got to look up at the scoreboard and know that your run does not matter uh, in that situation and you getting third bases of no consequence. They had another play in that game where Larry Garcia took second when they were down multiple runs uh, in the extra innings and uh-huh. that was probably something that wasn't worth it, but at least it's in that context of when he did it with zero outs and ball being caught. He was at least running to get out of a double play. There was just literally no benefit to at least Robert getting on third base in a two-run game in the 12th inning. Yeah. Yeah, it was just stunning and felt empty at the end of the game. It's just it was a horrible way to, to end the game. And this might be kind of a, a separate thing, but what I, I realize always when I think about and talk about Luis Robert is that of all the White Sox players, he's he's the guy that I feel like I don't really know. I don't really know him, like what what he is like. Like I got a, a good idea. Of, like even some of the other guys, I prefer not to speak English um, or can't speak English. Like Jose Abreu, I feel like I know him and like what he's all about and his leadership and all of that. And Aloy Jimenez, he's he's there for the good times and you know all of his fun antics and things like that. What, what do you have? Do you know Luis Robert? What he's like? And, and I guess it also surprises me that he wouldn't speak to you guys after the game yesterday. Is it a regular thing? Uh, I mean, from what I my interaction with him is somebody who is shy and you know is still pretty early on the road of feeling like you know having confidence of speaking a second language and thus interacting with you know. And unfortunately, most reporters don't have. Um, much ability to communicate with them in Spanish from anecdotes of, of, you know, talking to teammates or coaches is that this guy is pretty engaging and pretty funny. Uh, and also someone whose competitive fire is one they don't really question. Who's probably going to take his mistake pretty hard. You see, I think he's the personality that you see most of Luis Robert is when he fouls off a pitch. You think he can, he can hammer and kind of makes this disgusted face of himself in the batter's box. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you see that, that's Luis Robert. That's okay, like okay. That everyone kind of describes of uh, someone who they think really. I, I think the quote that I he I got from him in in April about how he sees the season is that like I know that I have the potential to be one of the best players in the league, and I really think I like it behooves upon me to try to. He didn't use the Spanish version of behooves, but you you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that he he thinks he's got like this big obligation to reach it. So I think he's internally motivated. And if anything, that may be a little bit of him trying to take that third base of just constantly trying to do more. But that's just a you know an unaware situation. And yeah, as far as like you know him 
uh, you know, declining their quest yesterday. I, I think it's just, um, you know, there's a bit of shyness about how everything's going to play in a different language and not knowing and not knowing how to explain this mistake uh, type of situation more than, you know, he's someone who ducks accountability or something like that. Gotcha. Aloy Jimenez, we, we mentioned him within all of that. Where What's the update on him? Well, the last update when we talked to Rickon was that, you know, this was trying to explain that this is a, a stretch of, you know, soreness of scar tissue release that happens with guys. Uh, in this process that happened with Lynn and happened with Grandal, and that the you know the White Sox explanation of this is that it just happened later with Jimenez when he was already on a rehab stint that he had not had any kind of flare up uh, while they were testing him and they're thinking like well maybe he's just not going to go through this and then he goes on the rehab stint he plays in games and he does feel it while running a couple times and now they're thinking well to shut him down and restart it they, that he wasn't going to hit he was already at 11 days when it happened and they didn't think he was going to reach. Uh, ready to be ready for the majors by the 20 day limit of a rehab stint so that they restarted the clock uh, by shutting him down any stint and that it could begin as soon as tomorrow. Now, when it begins this week, if it begins tomorrow, you know, then you're thinking he has another week left of rehab games and then he's back. Whereas if he, you know, the, the farther it gets towards this weekend that he actually gets activated and he's over the, uh, the soreness of the scar tissue release, that then it becomes more like, you know, it could be a week and a half or it could be two weeks. The longer he goes out of action, the more time he needs to get speed up because they're really trying to avoid, you know, him struggling the way he did when he came back last season where he just clearly wasn't on time for the fastball the way that we know he can be, you know, based on what he did in 2020. Um, so this is probably something he's going to go through a little bit. I think Yasmani Grandal, although he's, you know, it's hard to tell that he didn't feel really normal running you know, for stretches of last season when he came back, when he's active, because that's just something you go through when you go through the surgery and you have the scar tissue buildup. It's going to happen from time to time. But they're hoping this is the last major flare-up that knocks him out for a week on end. Uh, but obviously, Eloy Menace has been through a lot. You know, the fan base has been waiting for him to be healthy finally and back to himself for a long time at this point. So it, it, it's easy to be very uh, have to be full of doubts right now. As for the Tony Larusa flare-up and now being separated from the intentional walk by a few days here, is, is this officially something that has now passed and management or whomever might have been critical of Tony, it is over, it is passed, or does it leave some sort of demerit for Tony Larusa and a side eye like, okay, we're watching you now, Tony, based on that. And, I, and I'm sure Tony's very pleased to be going to Detroit as well. I mean, I think this particular thing just becomes like in a library of like, well, that was, you, you know that he's capable of making these unusual decisions. You know that he's very dedicated to handedness. Like, uh, you know that he, he feels like he needs his lefty specialist in those situations a lot. Even when in the case of Bennett Souza, he hasn't really had, uh, you know, a lot of success in the recent or the fact that he has reverse splits uh, so far in his young career that suggests like those situations are, are not as conducive as you might think just based on his handedness and arsenal. Um, I, I think it, you know, maybe the specific rage of that situation goes away. I wouldn't put everything, I wouldn't put the fans booing Tony or chanting for his job or any issues just purely in the context of that decision. But that's something you know he can do or you know he's going to have stuff that doesn't, match with statistical arguments at, at, from time to time. This is kind of the um, you know, package we all knew we were inheriting based off his track record even. The thing was that this White Sox team was supposed to be good enough, was supposed to just bash the baseball and kind of overwhelm teams on talent. 
that this wasn't, you know, the sort of thing that's deciding games all the time. But the White Sox haven't been good enough. They haven't been, they've been playing nothing but close games where a manager's decision being unconventional, weird, or just not advisable uh, could swing the result. And, you know, that's been happening a lot this season. I think this would, um, you know, this the way that they've been, you know, giving up outs and runs on the margins all the time and, and you know, racing their talent differential on the field and, and playing all these close games would expose the warts of a lot of managers. And, man, it's really putting Tony in, under the microscope. And that's, a, that's not a defense to Tony, but it's just these kind of things are going to keep bubbling up if they keep giving him no margin for error because he's going to make errors. Yep, no doubt about that. We, we have seen them and we have discussed them for sure. And, James, I believe that my um, – version of this guided tour with you is over i don't know if there's anything that i have i have left out we didn't know where to start i think we did pretty well was there anything else that you wanted to add to to your white Sox hit today here on the lawrence holmes show um man uh, i never had the opportunity to, to drive the ship myself what a dream uh, <laughs> this is it man this is the canvas you've been looking for buddy I think that, you know, it's an interesting point, and obviously his defense has struggled, but I think they've gotten to this point where they kind of need to figure out how Jake Berger is in the lineup every day, and I think Tony Roos has realized that for what it's worth. I don't necessarily know how it's going to work when you're already trying to fit in Andrew Vaughn and uh, debating whether he plays the outfield a ton and trying to get Yohan Mankata back because you need a left-handed bat who gets on base, but, you know, Jake Berger is just hitting missiles all day. Yep, It's, it's, a, it's another guy who's you're not exactly clear what the position is, but you need the bat uh, to figure out in the lineup. So they got enough of that, but they need him. Glad you brought up Jake Berger. That was good on you. I think we have perfected this last 25 minutes. James Fegan, thank you so much for being on the score as always. Thanks for having me. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.